This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. We just sang about the God who controls life and eternity. And he still has a firm grip on all that is happening. Amen? And the scripture reminds us that in that grip is you and me. In fact, the scripture tells us that when we get saved, we're placed in that hand and no one is able to pluck us out of our Father's hand. What a blessing. And yet, sometimes we're faced with issues in our lives and temptations and weaknesses, struggles, and like Peter, walking on the water, we, we, we should be able to move forward with unlimited strength. And yet, isn't it so easy to take our eyes off of the Lord and onto the storms and the circumstances and to let go of His grip while we hold on to things that are unhelpful and unuseful? And so tonight, we want to look at another one of those areas, gripping God to let go of anger. Gripping God to let go of anger. Try to give you some help this morning about the matter of letting go of vengeance, holding on to God, not allowing revenge to consume us, take over. Tonight, we want to look at this matter of anger, holding on to God, letting go of anger. Is this a serious matter to discuss? Well, it certainly is. Few things sap the strength of churches and homes like uncontrolled anger in believers. Have you ever been around a person who is given to anger? They're unpredictable. Uh, They can steal the peace and the joy, uh, just suck it right out of the atmosphere. But it's especially problemsome when it comes to our churches and our homes. And therefore, there's a lot of help in Scripture about this subject. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down on your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Every day is going to have its own set of challenges, its own problems. And if those problems have resulted in anger and wrath, the Scripture admonishes us, don't go to sleep without settling that. Because if you go to sleep, you pillow your head, and there is unresolved anger, you're going to wake up, and that's just going to be part of the pile that you have to deal with the next day. And if we are controlled by anger and not controlled by the Spirit of God, what we're really doing is opening the door for the devil to come in and have great influence in our lives. James 4, 1 and 2, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Keep in mind, this is said to Christians. Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members. Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, cannot obtain, ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. That James 4 passage is 
is wonderful because it tells us you don't have to war and fight and be angry. What's the antidote? What's the help? Ask. Go to the Lord. And yet folks don't. And again, our homes and our churches sometimes show it. What does the scripture tell us about anger's destructive nature? Well, consider these things. First, it shatters the husband-wife relationship and communication. Anger shuts down communication. It, it causes great damage in the husband-wife relationship. As a pastor and our other pastoral staff uh, know this, uh, Pastor Radice, who does a lot of our counseling, uh, it is very sad. In fact, it will wrench your heart. To know the anger and the turmoil, the strife in homes. Not only does it shatter the husband-wife relationship, it stifles the work that parents do with their children. James 1.20 says, For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. The Holy Spirit dwelling in us as parents, we can see behavior, we can see problems, we know that we need to address it with God's Word, we need to be a, an influence for right and, and, and godliness in our homes, and so we can see a problem, we can know what needs to change, but then if the flesh gets involved and we get angry, our wrath never will result in the righteousness of God. It just can't. And so you can see the problem. You, you might even understand God's response to that problem, what that ought to be. But if anger comes in, sinful anger, you disconnect any good that God wants to do as you try to help with that problem. Stifles the work that parents do with their children. It also results in angry children who are discouraged. Ephesians 6, 4, ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Don't provoke them to wrath. And by the way, angry parents do that. Angry parents are unlike the God of heaven. And parents, you and I communicate to our children what God is like. In fact, we're called to help prepare their hearts to have a heart for God. But if you are quick to anger and, and children don't know uh, what's expected of them and, and, and they can never please you and it's never good enough and anger is always or, or often the result of what you're trying to do in your home, then they just get angry and quit. Or if you don't exercise righteous anger when you need to, that's part of this too. If you don't do that, well, what you're really uh, doing is you're preparing them for the wrath of God because they can also think that God is this permissive father who doesn't care what you do, uh, just please yourself, and, uh, and you may not discipline lovingly and, and with a sternness that is from the Spirit of God, and if you don't train them and you don't direct them, you know what? God's going to be perfect, and He is going to pour out His wrath on the children of disobedience. So, anger has to be understood. It has to be practiced properly, and sinful anger should not be a part of what we do. Colossians 3.21 
Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Obviously, in those key passages on child training, anger and the results of anger are something that is on the mind of God because it's a problem. Also, anger is destructive nature. It wreaks havoc in the church. Again, the context of James 4, 1 and 2 that we read earlier. Talking to the church. People devouring one another. I hope you've never experienced this. I remember it only one time in a church business meeting where men in a church business meeting got angry and it showed. I was about this big. I'll never forget what I witnessed. Some of you maybe have been in church situations where people were not spirit controlled, where anger took over. And, and, and you, you think, are we family or are we enemies here? Oh, how it grieves the heart of God. Oh, what damage is done to the church of God. Is anger a problem? Did you know that in 1 Corinthians 5, in that list of sins, that the Apostle Paul told the Corinthian church, these are sins that are worthy of church discipline if there isn't repentance. Do you know that one of those sins in that list involves sinful anger? In verse 11, it talks about a railer. That's a reviler. It's someone who uses angry words and, and, and an angry temperament to manipulate and get what they want and try to force people to do what pleases them. And sometimes this is such an addictive problem behavior that the Lord tells us in His Word that as a church, if you have somebody who is uncontrolled that way and it continues, that is grounds for church discipline. Say, Pastor, is that, is that really something that the church should be concerned about? You would be shocked how many times this pastor over the years has had to deal mainly with men who have uncontrolled anger, and that anger was causing them to be abusive in their home. Not here, but a number of years ago, I remember sitting down with a deacon and one of the men in our church, and it had gotten to the point where the wife was ready to leave and the kids were just discouraged. And I had to tell him that night, we have talked about this, we've talked about this, you are an angry man who is controlled by your flesh and not the spirit. And with a deacon sitting right there, I had to say lovingly to him, if it happens again, we're going to the church for church discipline. By the way, God worked that night. We never had to go to the church for church discipline. But is it a problem? Yes, it's in the list of sins that churches have to deal with, sometimes publicly, because it's an issue. Now, uncontrolled anger is probably most dangerous because it is so widely excused. Let me ask you a question. Just be honest within your own heart tonight. Have you ever excused your anger? Well, these kids are just so frustrating. Or whatever context where your anger hasn't pleased the Lord. And we excuse it. Let's be honest, this is one of the easiest habits to form and one of the easiest to accept as one of those respectable sins 
Well, everybody does it. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Well, you know, okay. That doesn't make it right or acceptable to God. Another problem is that the world doesn't have answers to this problem. And you've heard the, the, you know, just punch a pillow. Punch a pillow. I had a cousin that used to work at Long John Silver. His boss's response when things got tense in Long John Silver is, go in the freezer and punch the fish. All right, all right. That, that solves everything. You've got sore knuckles and it's all better. Okay. Take a walk around the block. Yeah, and the whole time you're going around the block, you're trying to figure out how you're going to fix this, and all it's doing is raising your blood pressure. So when you get back, what's been solved? Now understand, God's Word does have the answer to anger. It helps us have the right perspective for anger. We're going to get to look at that uh, tonight. So let's start out with what anger is not. What anger is not? First of all, all anger is not sinful. All anger is not sinful. Ephesians 4.26, be angry and sin not. In other words, you can be angry and not offend the Lord. And if God says to be angry, there must be times when it is okay to be angry. In fact, it can even be helpful to be angry. How do we know that not all anger is sinful? Well, first of all, God is angry. God is angry. Psalm 7, verse 11, God is angry with the wicked every day. Mark 3, verse 5, before healing the man with the withered arm in Mark's gospel, Jesus looked around about on them with anger. Being grieved, these are the religious leaders, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts. He was angry. Why? Because they're more concerned in tripping Jesus up than that this man be healed. And it made him angry. By the way, the insensitivity of others to real needs, it should make us angry. But we're going to see in a little bit that that anger is energy that God gives us to respond to the problem and help fix it. And so in that same text, Jesus looked around and they're just looking at him. They're they're hoping he'll slip up, trip up. Jesus is angry. What's he do? He heals the man with the withered arm. So God is angry. Now, notice, again back to Ephesians 4.26, believers are commanded to be angry. But again, with that command, there has to be a working understanding of anger. Debbie Pride, who has a wonderful ministry, Women Counseling Women, said this, and I give you the quote, Man's anger is to be like God's, controlled and with purpose, not with hatred, malice, and resentment as an expression of concern, and please underline that in your notes, concern, as an expression of concern, it corrects in order to curtail destructive behavior. As an expression of care, it restores relationships and brings justice. 
It also corrects willful disobedience. And so, again, when a child is sinning, not doing what they were told, going against what, what you as a parent knows, uh, grieves, goes against what God has said, and it grieves the Lord, and you feel that rise of energy, that's a good thing. Because what you're witnessing offends God, and He has you there to lovingly correct it. That rise is a good thing as long as that rise, that energy is controlled by the Spirit of God. How often, when something happens, does there, uh, is there a rise in you because what you're sensing is, you know what, it looks like Satan's got his ugly handprints in, on this. He's up to something no good. And so you feel that rise, and we're not going to let him get an advantage. We're not going to let the flesh get an advantage here. Instead, we're going to respond in a way that pleases the Lord. And again, you, you use that concern. You, you use that energy to properly respond to the situation. Have you ever thought about anger being something that can be caring, that can be corrective when controlled by God? And so, what anger is not? It's not always sinful. It can be used by the Lord. Now, what anger is, we also need to understand. Webster, in his dictionary, gives this common uh, usage of the etymology, the meaning of the word, emotion or passion, aroused by a sense of injury or wrong. All right, we, we understand that. I see a wrong, uh, someone is injuring someone else, they're coming after me, and so we get angry. We understand that. But there are two different kinds of anger as we see it in the Scripture. Two words are used. In Colossians 3.8, the word orge is used. It means to put off all these anger. Now that anger that's to be put off, write this word down in your notes. It's passion of the mind that rises slowly and wants to seek revenge. Now that's sinful. It's passion of the mind that rises slowly. In other words, I just keep thinking about it, I keep thinking about it, and the more I think about it, the more irritated I get the more angry I get, and in the end, all right, I'm going to fix this with revenge. What we talked about in the message this morning, that is what's behind it. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. But if you give place to anger, and by the way, a companion sin is bitterness, you don't you don't seek that revenge right away. There's no release of that. You don't release it to God. It can become internalized. Bitterness. Right? Put off that anger. It tends to be lasting in nature. In biblical counseling, we call this the slow burn. The slow burn. Where some of this stuff can eat at somebody's insides for years. Orge. Another word found in Ephesians 4.31 is the Greek word thumos. 
And that's what the word that you see translated wrath. Wrath. Instead of passion that just continues to build over time, wrath is agitation that results in outbursts or explosive behavior. Somebody just blows up. Okay, that's not the slow anger. Okay, that's wrath. Agitation that results in those things. And when, when uh, I counsel about this, sometimes people will make excuses. Well, I, I just blow up and it's over. And I look at them and I say, and the same principle works with a hand grenade. It blows up and it's over. But look around and there's destruction everywhere. That's not what God wants. That's sinful. That's not helpful. The wrath of man never produces the righteousness of God. All right. So the etymology, the biblical definition... <clears throat> And again, this moves us away from the sinful use of anger to a use of anger that pleases the Lord. The biblical definition is God-given energy to help solve problems biblically. Again, God-given energy to help solve problems biblically. It never attacks the person. But listen carefully. It attacks what is attacking the person. Would you agree that sin attacks people? All right, sin destroys people. And so I don't attack the person. And we've got to remember that as believers. Folks are blinded by sin. All right, they're, they're living in that darkness, and so it's easy to attack them. But no, we use that energy to attack what is attacking them and to deal with the real problems, to deal with the sin. God-given energy to help solve problems biblically. Now, this is practical even for somebody who doesn't know the Lord. Okay? So, it's Christmas shopping time. Some of you husbands may be victims. I mean, have the opportunity to go shopping with your wife. And you're walking through a place, and by the way, when, when you get out of your car, don't have a bunch of sh things that you've just purchased on the seats. Don't, don't have it out there, okay? Lock your doors, put the stuff in the trunk. But, but you can be walking through a store, and somebody can run up, grab your wife's purse, and just keep right on running. Now, men... At that point, you should feel a rise. Energy, okay? Energy, I'm going to take care of the problem without attacking the person. But I'm going to have to get to the person and neutralize the person to take care of the problem. So if I chase after him and I get the purse back and I hold him till the police get there, that's good. If I take the purse and I start beating him with it, now that's a different story. All right? If I look in the backyard and the neighbor's dog has helped themselves into my yard and they're chasing my child around trying to bite, there should be a rise of energy. And that rise of energy is to take care of the dog. 
protect my child. But if I protect my, my child, shoot the dog and the neighbor who owns the dog, now that's okay. I'm, I'm using extreme examples, but I hope you're, you're, you're being helped by this. That energy is what God gives us. You can see in Scripture examples of people who got angry, righteous indignation, and dealt with sin problems. And yet they kept in view what the issue really was. So here are some examples. Remember when Paul confronted Peter, Galatians 2, 11? He said, I stood against him face to face. Now what he's saying there, if you look at the language, Paul was angry with Peter because he deserved to be blamed. When Peter was with the Jews, he acted one way. When he was with the Gentiles, he acted another way. That caused a rise in the Apostle Paul. He stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with Peter and lovingly dealt with the problem. By the way, because of how he dealt with the problem, we don't see Peter ever having that issue again. How about when Jesus cleansed the temple, John 2, 13-17? And in that cleansing of the temple, actually the Lord was fulfilling prophecy. And here's what we see, that the zeal of the Lord hath eaten me up. He was zealous uh, for his father. You're not going to make my father's house, this house of prayer, a den of thieves. That's what he said. That word zeal brings into focus for us the fact that the Lord was thinking, the Lord was purposeful, in what he did. He drove them out. Were they fearful? Yes. Did he injure anybody? Was it an attack on their person? No. But he got done what needed to be done. What an example for us. And so what anger is? I hope this helps to explain that for us. Let's move on now. When anger becomes sinful... And this is really where you've got to do some heart searching when you begin to feel that rise and you're looking at circumstances and you have an opportunity to glorify God or, I'll just be blunt, or blow it. All right, so as you face those situations, when does, when does anger become sin? I hope this will help you. First of all, when worship stops. When worship stops. Take your Bible and turn over to Romans chapter 1. A little bit we're going to see in 1 Corinthians, again, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Everything we do should be worshipful. Worshipful, bringing glory to God, exalting His name by our actions and by our whole demeanor, our spirit, should be bringing glory to God. Do you know that you can be angry and be bringing glory to God? You can. But when worship stops, your anger is going to become sin. Now, watch, watch what happens in Romans 1.21. Because that when they knew God, 
they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, empty reasoning, and their foolish heart was darkened. If you have studied Jim Berg's work, The Way Down, Quieting a Noisy Soul, he's got a section in there called The Way Down. And he takes a lot of time to expound and explain Romans 1.21. But here's what happens. God has made my heart to worship. When I push God out of my heart, when the scripture says here, neither were they thankful. When they didn't want to think about God, worship God as God, give him the exalted place he deserves. When you push God out of your heart, you leave a void there that nothing in the universe can fill. You're going to be empty. Push God aside and you can take all the wealth in the world, all the pleasure in the world, uh, whatever addictive substance you want to pour into that chasm, into that hole, and you can just keep pouring in and nothing is going to satisfy you because you are made in God's image to fellowship with Him. Now here's what happens when people push God aside and they start trying to fill that void with other things and they remain empty. One of two things happens. Either they get fearful. My plan isn't working and I don't know what to do next. They get fearful, anxious. Or they get mad. They get angry. I'm trying this. I'm trying all that the world says is going to satisfy. This is what my friends are saying will satisfy. This is what the media says. This is where life is at. And I keep pouring it in. It doesn't work. I'm empty. And they get angry. Now, do you know that statistically, ladies, your relationship oriented, God made you that way. Do you know who is most given to the anxiety side of it? You ladies. Do you know who's most given to the anger side of it? You men. And when anger or anxiety come in and that doesn't solve it, that's the way down. And ultimately that will lead to depression and despair. What's the way out of that? Turn back to God. Confess the sin of, of worshiping other things above the Creator. And God will give deliverance. But when worship stops, anger is going to be a part of that, or potentially is going to be a part of that, and sin will follow. So be careful what you're worshiping. Be careful what you're setting your heart on to try to satisfy your heart. Only be satisfied with God. He is all sufficient. Secondly, anger becomes sinful when worship stops. It becomes sinful when selfishness starts. When selfishness starts. Again, going back to James chapter 4, people devouring one another, angry, wanting to get their own way. That anger manipulates. It tries to pressure people to conform to what I want. When selfishness starts. One of the classic examples in Scripture is King Saul. 
Remember what happened with King Saul? He didn't want to worship God as God. He was going to do it Saul's way. There was a time when humbly Saul was willing to follow the Lord. But he became great in his own eyes, the scripture tells us. He pushed God aside and what began to happen? He became a fearful and angry man. And those in his past who had been there to help him, his son Jonathan, David, remember the great victory over Goliath because this young red-headed Jewish boy showed up on the battlefield and he could use a sling, amen? And he helps deliver the armies of Israel. But because Saul pushed God out, became sinful in his anger, became fearful as a man, what's he doing? He's taking javelins and he's trying to destroy those who had been the most loyal to him. It makes no sense, but sinful anger doesn't make sense. It destroys what is most valuable and precious around me. Proverbs 25, 28 warns us, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. And then let her see, when anger becomes sinful, when anger attacks the person instead of the problem. We've already referenced that. That's when it becomes sinful. Do you know what God is looking for? God is looking for profitable actions, not harmful reactions. God is looking for profitable actions, not harmful reactions. Let's close then tonight. How to grip God and let sinful anger go. There's some practical things that you can do. You can have this knowledge from Scripture about what God says about anger. But when you are in the heat of the moment, here are some things that will be a great help to you if you'll be willing to commit these things to memory, these Scripture passages, and let God have control instead of you taking control. All right? Gripping God... And letting sinful anger go. Here we go. Letter A, be slow to anger. Be slow to anger. Consider Proverbs 14, 29. He that is slow to wrath. When when that rise starts, and in this case, and I want to explode. How many times do I have to tell this child to do this job? I've been married to my wife 10 years. I thought I had her trained. Oh, boy. Why can't she get this? Be slow to wrath. He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding. But he that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. All the folly and the shame and the, and the disorder that's going to come from, from you exploding, you getting angry, all right? A man of understanding says, whoa, 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 we're not, we're not going there. Nothing is so urgent that we have to get to that, no. But he that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. 
Consider James 1.19. I love this passage. It will be on the screen for you. Therefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Some of the best practical advice in the Bible. And by the way, just in case you think, well, pastor's preaching on this because he never struggles with it. Can I just let you know, I have that verse on speed dial. Yeah. I've committed that to memory, and when, when I feel that rise, and something just has rubbed me the wrong way, beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear. I'm already thinking, I am perfect in my knowledge, and I understand completely these circumstances. No, you don't. You need to be, again, swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Mm, great advice. Be slow to anger. Well, we could word it this way, be slow to sin. Because if your flesh has its way and you, you pursue that without giving, your, giving control of yourself over to God, what's going to come from that is not going to be helpful, it's going to be hurtful. And oh, by the way, when I yield to the Spirit of God, I'm slow to wrath, and the whole time I'm praying, God, you need to take control. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, Goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, a holding in. Against such there is no law. All right. Be slow to anger. Secondly, deliberate in order to determine the justice of a cause. Deliberate in order to determine the justice of a cause. Proverbs 18, 13. He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. So deliberate, deliberate in your mind, just be slow, start thinking through it, and, and ask questions. Ask questions. Again, my flesh thinks I've got this figured out. I'm not omniscient. Only God is omniscient. And how many times in my life have I experienced failure because I looked at something, sized it up, thought I understood it completely, and I didn't have a clue. Anybody ever had that happen? Okay, all right, all right. And it is frustrating sometimes how things can be so convincing until you find out what's really going on. I've shared this before, but it's worth sharing again. I came in the house many years ago. We lived in Wisconsin. I came through the front door, and you could look right through the front door into the dining room, through the back patio door. The church had just built a nice deck out there. And you know, you, we could cook burgers and just sit out there. I look through the dining room, through those double doors, and I see three kids under the built-in table on the deck, and they are coated with mud. <sighs> now, yeah, we told them, stay out of the mud. I knew where they got the mud because when you have one of those swing sets and they just keep swinging, they dig holes under it, you know, and then it rains and it fills them up, those nice mud puddles, but they just attract kids. There they go, you know. And so I saw that, 
kids have disobeyed, they're coated in mud. Ah. And foolish dad answered the matter before he heard it. What I didn't know is that I, as I'm moving through the house to deal with the problem, mom's moving through the house too. She's going to get the camera to take pictures because this is so cute. She said they could do it. And oh, by the way, mud does wash off, right? It does wash off. Unless you're a dad who's blinded by anger. And so I'm about to jump on the situation, and here comes mom with the camera. I had some confessing to do to the Lord. And when he spanks, by the way, ooh, his swing is right on. So, be careful. Deliberate in order to determine the justice of a cause. And then ask this, and write this in under letter B, please. Ask this question, is it sin or should love hide it? Is it sin or should love hide it? You know, we get angry over things that are not even sinful, some little toddler is at the table and reaches across to grab some food and hits the glass and it spills, okay? Do you know that until Jesus comes back and even into the millennium, kids are still going to be knocking over glasses and spilling things at the table? Now, if they were told, don't climb out of your high chair, don't climb onto the table, and a spill happens because of disobedience, that's different. But kids are going to spill. Accidents are going to happen. Is it sin or should love hide it? Would you believe that sometimes God even allows mishaps to take place just to expose what's inside you and what's inside me? I believe that. All right, so should love hide it? Accidents happen. And oh, by the way, I create accidents too. I, maybe you don't, but you know, sometimes, uh, okay. All right, so deliberate in order to determine the justice of a cause. And then finally, assess the motive of your heart. Assess the motive of your heart. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to what? The glory of God. The glory of God. Ask this question, is this about me? Is my reaction, is what I'm about to say, what I'm about to do, is it about me or is it about God? That'll slow you down. It should always be about God. All right? Do you know that when you walk worthy of the Lord and you do what is pleasing, the Lord says in His Word, He considers you worthy of Him. When you bring glory to God in those smallest things, you just obey His command. You, you just respond instead of reacting. Do you know what? God looks down from heaven and He says, that's worthy of me. Even when your circumstances could be frustrating, 
could make you angry. In those situations when you yield to the Spirit of God and you work through these mental things, I'm going to be slow to anger, I'm going to deliberate to determine if that my cause is just or not, and I'm going to assess my motive for what I feel like saying, what I feel like doing. And if I do it for God, He's, he's pleased. And this is how to grip God and let sinful anger go. Let's conclude. I love Romans 8, 28, 29, because it reminds me, even in situations where I can be tempted to be angry, those situations reveal in me whether or not I am really trusting my Lord. And if I'm really trusting my Lord, then I'm going to rest in texts like this one. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to His purpose. His purpose in me is for me to please Him no matter what my circumstances are. It's to please Him regardless of whether or not those around me are doing what pleases me, whether they're with the program or not. All things work together for good. And if I will yield to him in those circumstances, he is going to bring good out of that, and he doesn't need my reactions to help. He just needs me to yield and to respond biblically in those situations. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. We're about to celebrate another Christmas season. I love Christmas. But do you know what Christmas is about? The God who is angry with the wicked every day watched how mankind from the Garden of Eden all the way up to the time of the coming uh, in the fullness of time when Jesus came. That God watched man over and over and over go against his word. And do you know how God responded to all that sin that made him angry? He sent Jesus. And Jesus came to be our sufficient, all-sufficient sacrifice to deliver us from the wrath to come. So may God help us to continue to hold on to the Lord. This week, you're going to experience things, I'm going to experience things that want to make me angry in a sinful way. But it doesn't need to be that way. And when I feel that rise of energy, when my flesh wants to take over, I need to yield to the Spirit and just talk to the Lord as I talk through that thing in my own mind, making sure that whatever I do, I'm worshipful, pleasing to God, and that I'm looking for God's solutions to be able to resolve that issue in a way that pleases Him. 
And if we'll do that in the workplace, if we'll do that in our homes, if we'll do that in our marriages, God will be pleased. And what a difference it will make. Toward the hope of our high calling, toward the promise we've received. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's Word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.